the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we're lucky to have Greg Gossett. Greg is an entrepreneur, mentor, and the son of William Wolfgang Gossett. Wolfgang Gossett has been a suspect I've been aware of for a few years, but never really gave him a good look. After speaking with Greg, that has all changed. Wolfgang Gossett was a Marine, paratrooper, army officer, radio host, priest, paranormal investigator, survivalist, and potential skyjacker. Enjoy this episode with my good friend, Greg Gossett. All right, Greg. Hey, hey. When was the first time that you heard the term D.B. Cooper? Uh, First time ever was the day that my dad told me he was D.B. Cooper. And how old were you? I was 21. It was my birthday. What year did you turn 21? I was 18 in 85. So, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was like my first year of college at the University of Utah, 1989. 1989, you're 21 years old on your birthday. On my birthday. And your dad says, I'm D.B. Cooper? So I was living with him. I was going to the University of Utah. I was on their swim team. And so I was living in his basement. And I remember he said, happy birthday, son. I said, thank you. And he goes, come on downstairs. I want to show you something. I said, okay. So we went downstairs into his office. And he asked me, have you ever heard of D.B. Cooper? I said, D.B. Cooper, D.B. Cooper. I mean, it sounded somewhat familiar. And I remember asking him, didn't he rob a bank or something? And he said, well, kind of. And then he explained the story to me. Didn't tell me he was D.B. Cooper. He just explained the story to me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, man. It's a pretty, that's you, a pretty I'm cool sorry. story. Do you remember any of the details of the story he told? Um, or you weren't paying close enough attention then? No, I think. was, I was paying attention. I, I mean, he basically, he basically said D.B. Cooper hijacked a plane, jumped out of the plane or exchanged the passengers for some money and like four parachutes and, and parachuted out the back of a 727. That's basically essentially what he told me and I was like oh wow that's pretty cool why are you telling me this like it didn't even cross my mind I just thought he was telling me a cool story and so he walked over to this file cabinet it was locked he put he he pulled the key out of it out of his pocket and he opened it up and he had this huge file in his filing cabinet under D.B. Cooper like magazines and newspaper articles, like a ton of them. 
I remember thinking, man, he's really into this story. And he pulled out, I'll never forget, he pulled out kind of the famous D.B. Cooper sketch. And he, he kind of had a, like a smirk on his face or like he was like anticipating getting a reaction from me or something. I, I remember that. And he had me look at it and I'm looking at it. And I remember he said, who does that look like? I remember looking at it and I remember saying, it kind of looks like you. And he got this smile on his face and he's like, that's right. And I said, you were D.B. Cooper? And he said, yeah. He said, don't tell Teresa, who's my mother. He says, don't you dare tell Teresa. Don't tell anyone. I said, okay. And I really... I mean, I did ask him one question, which I'll tell you in a second, but I, I so regret that I didn't ask him so many questions that we would all like to know. Because but you didn't know who D.B. Cooper was? Not until that moment, not until a few minutes before that when he told me. So I didn't, I was kind of shell-shocked though, you know what I mean? I mean, it all kind of came together like my dad hijacked a plane and I, I didn't know anything about the story other than what he just told me. I didn't know any of the, nuance of the nuances of the story. Um, but I remember the only thing that came out of my mouth was, what did you do with the money? And he reached in that same file cabinet and he pulled out this ring of keys. And they look, they were like kind of skeleton looking keys, um, kind of unique looking keys. And he said, it's in Canada in a safety deposit box. And that's all I, that's all I remember. I didn't ask him any more questions. I, I think I was just stunned. And he reiterated again to me, don't you dare, don't you tell anyone, don't you dare tell Teresa, who's my mom, her, his ex-wife. So that was the first time. That was the first time you were hearing about D.B. Cooper. That, that's quite an introduction to the story. <laughs> Did you think that it was true did you did you even care at that point you know i remember thinking a little bit about it later that day uh we didn't have the internet anything back then right so it's not like i could just go and look it up um but i guess to answer your question i don't think i thought about it much after because i did, i mean i didn't tell anyone because my dad my dad told me not to and like I said, I couldn't go look it up on the internet and really, I, I think if I would have been able to look it up on the internet, I would have gone back to him with a million questions. But it was the one and only time we ever discussed it. Like after that, we never discussed it. And I guess I didn't think much of, I mean, it didn't even cross my mind till 20, year, 20 something years later, the night that I heard him talking, talking about it on Coast to Coast. All right, let's go to the next time you heard about D.B. Cooper then. So it was Thanksgiving Eve, 2009 or something like that. I think it was 2009. And I was at my girlfriend's place. And I went downstairs to go into my truck. And while I was in the truck, the radio was on and it was on to coast to coast because I like listening to coast to coast. It was on that station. 
And I, I heard them say something about, I was going there in my, I was going there in my truck to grab some cigarettes back when I used to smoke and the radio was on. So when I turned on the key, <clears throat> I heard something coming out of the speaker about hijacking parachutes, money. And my mind went back to the DB Cooper story. They didn't say DB Cooper, but I remember I sat in the truck for a minute to see if I could see where this conversation was going. The host was Ian Pundit. I remember he was a guest host and he was interviewing a guy named Galen Cook. And so anyway, then, then the word DB Cooper came out and I remember thinking, Oh, DB. Oh, so I sat in the truck for a long time and I was listening to them tell the story. It, it was the 30, 35th anniversary or 38th anniversary. Cause it was Thanksgiving Eve night. So that's why he had, that's why they had, uh, Galen on as a guest. And so I sat there forever, listened to the whole show. I remember my girlfriend coming down and said, what, what are you taking? What's taking you so long? I said, I'm listening to this, th this thing. And she said, what's it about? I said, it's about DB Cooper. She goes, Oh, I know who DB Cooper is. She goes, why are you so interested? I said, well, I'll tell you later because I hadn't told her. And so I listened to the show. It's freezing cold. And then at the end of the show, uh, the host, Ian Pundit said something to the effect, well, or maybe it was Galen, I'm not sure. They said, well, maybe some, someone out there listening know, really knows who D.P. Cooper is or who he was or what the story was. And I remember thinking to myself, or maybe even telling my girlfriend, I can't remember now, but thinking, I, th I think I do, you know, based upon what my dad had told me all those years before when I was 21. And... So I remember I wrote down Galen's name and I thought, you know, I'd like to get to the bottom of this. I'd like to see whether or not my dad really was D.B. Cooper, like he told me. And the, th but before I tried to contact Galen, I contacted my brothers because I didn't know if they knew or not. Was that, that was your first call? I got to call my brothers. Yeah before I, before I contacted Galen and I contacted my brothers, <clears throat> it was kind of a weird conversation. Cause I said, Hey, did, uh, did dad ever tell you, uh, anything about a hijacking? And they're like, yes, he told you, I thought I was the only one that knew. I said, yeah, he told me when I was 21 and I had this conversation with both brothers and both brothers went, yeah, but I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. I said, I know he, told me not to tell anyone either. And I told him, I said, listen, I listened to this show and there's this DB Cooper investigator that sounds like he knows what he's doing. And I said, it, you know, he's gone. It does. He's dead. It doesn't matter now. I mean, may, what would you think if I contacted him? And they said, yeah, sure. And so I reached out to Galen by email and I'm sorry. Did you ask your brothers if they thought it was true? Not at that point. Okay. Not at that point. I just asked them if they had ever heard anything about this and they said, yeah. But he had told them separately the same story that he had told you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I reached out to Galen. It was kind of a weird, awkward email saying, Hey, listen, uh, 
you know, when I was 21, my dad told me that he was D.B. Cooper and, and, you know, he had the training and he, he does look like the, he does look like the, the sketch, the suspect sketch. And at first Galen was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get like 19 calls like this every day, you know. And he asked me, he says, do you, do you have anything else maybe that I could look at that might get me a little bit more interested? And so uh, I went through my pictures and I found a picture that was like a headshot of 19, I think it said 1970 or 1971. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is the same year that happened. So I sent that to Galen. And after he received that, he, he called back in his tune to change the lot. He was... He seemed to be extremely interested. So where did you guys go from there? I mean, hours and hours of conversation and questions that he asked me, just very nuanced, you know, about every little aspect of my dad and my family and my brothers and his work and his training and the relationship with my mother. And, um, and I mean, I think he quit his law practice for a couple of years to you know, investigate my dad, interview people all over the country and different places that he had lived. But yeah, he was, he was full-time on the job investigating, investigating my dad after that for a couple of years, if not more. And did that make you more sure that your father was D.B. Cooper? Did, did it make you unsure? Well, I mean, he would share with me things that he had found out and possible connections and relations um, that seemed like it all made sense that it was him. Um, but, you know, as you and I were talking before the show tonight, I mean, there's other things that make me much more certain that it was him other than what Galen was finding out. Let's let's talk about who your dad was, because he's an interesting character. Yeah. Born William Gossett. Yeah. Shortly after November of 71, he changed his name to Wolfgang. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who your dad is, Greg? <laughs> well, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he ran away from uh, home when he was 15 years old and joined the Marines. And he was actually at the latter part of World War II. He was in World War II. Uh, then he fought in the Korean War also. And then he switched, he switched services from the Marines over to uh, the US Army in some kind of special forces capacity. I think he did two tours in Vietnam he was based out of Fort Ord, California. And when I was about three, maybe close to four years old, yeah, I was three years old. Uh, we moved from Fort Ord, California up here to Ogden, Utah, because he was instrumental. He was one of the original um, people that started up the ROTC program here in Ogden, Utah at Weber State College. And that was the time um, shortly after that, you know, that the hijacking took place. Uh, after that, um, when he retired from the military, uh, he uh, worked for the 
public defender's office. He had a law degree and he worked for the public defender's office for, for quite a long time. Uh, then <clears throat> he surprised everyone and became a Catholic priest, which was quite a surprise to everyone. I, I used to go to his uh, masses. He'd give mass, you know, at the Catholic church and I'd go and watch him do his thing. I called him Father Father. I like it. It's a clever title. <laughs> father Father. Uh, and then um, he and his wife moved up to, uh, up to uh, Oregon and uh, lived there the rest of his life and uh, uh, until he died. But he, he also was a radio host. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes, while he lived in Salt Lake City, he had a radio, he, he was a talk show host. He had a radio, he had a talk show having to do, oh, that's right. Uh, he did a lot with paranormal. He, he did ghost busting and exorcisms and people would call in, you know, and uh, kind of like an early Art Bell, you know, they talk about UFOs right. and... Yeah, Clyde Lewis said uh, your dad was his mentor. Yeah, yeah, I forgot all about that part. Um, I'll, I'll have to show you some... That one, we're gonna, I'll have to show you some segments that's, that are on YouTube where he's interviewed by, uh, you know, doing his exorcisms and things like that. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I forgot all about that part. I, yeah, I mean, he, he used to teach. He used to teach parapsychology at Westminster College, like he taught. He taught an actual course there. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, that's right. He taught the paranormal investigation course. Yeah, that's wild. And a priest performed exorcisms. <laughs> yep. I read that he was a police officer in Oakdale, California, for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, he he was. I don't remember that part, but yeah, he for for a, for a short amount of time he was a police officer. I think that was before I was born. I think. I mean, he did it all. Yeah, police officer, uh, Catholic priest, attorney, parapsychology, talk show host. Yeah, a pretty accomplished dude. Yeah, he's a smart guy. What do you know about his military service? Do you know anything that he did? Do you know if he had special training, survival training? Did he jump from planes? Yeah. He talked about parachuting in the army. And like I said, I, it's a little murky, but I, I do know that he, you know, he did two tours in Vietnam. I remember him talking about parachuting, something to do with Laos. Um, but I don't. I don't know really the specifics of his career. It seemed kind of murky and secret, to be honest with you. I mean, I've seen pictures, I mean, of, you know, obviously his military service. I mean, obviously I know he was in the military. I mean, um, but not, not a lot, which was strange for him not to tell me. Yeah, he didn't tell me much about, about his service in Vietnam and what he did. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess not a lot of people would. Did he do any parachuting outside of the military? No, not that I'm aware of. Did he ever work for the CIA? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so let's get back to uh, him being D.B. Cooper. Did you start to investigate the case a little bit yourself? Yeah. 
but I mean, I had a real DB Cooper expert that I could just call and talk to. I mean, I read a little bit on the, I read a little bit on the internet, but I mean, I had Galen as a resource that I could ask him any DB Cooper question. I mean, he kind of, he kind of coached me up on exactly what happened kind of in reference to questions about my dad. Um, you know, he, he asked me kind of some of the same questions. Do you remember him parachuting, anything out of the ordinary? I'm like, well, I remember he became a pilot. I do remember that. Uh, he would, I remember. He did become a pilot. Yeah, private pilot's license. Uh, I remember he would, he would have my mom and I, well, because my mom drove, we would drop him off in the middle of the mountains and then have to go pick him up like a week later, like 200 miles away. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, I don't know why he was doing it. It's a strange thing. I mean, at the time, you know, looking at it through the D.B. Cooper lens, maybe he was planning another, another adventure. I don't know. That's an interesting point. All right, let's, let's go through the hijacking. Okay. How do you think he did it? How do I think he did the hijacking? Yeah. I mean, we, we know the whole hijacking story. Right. So he jumps out of the plane. Yeah. What next? Well, these are questions I wish I would have asked him. <laughs> I think, I mean, the honest answer is I really don't know. I mean, was he back to work on Monday after this happened? Did he have help? Um, you know, there's been some talk that possibly my uncle... Danny had helped him, but I, I, you know, that's just speculation. I don't, I don't know, but I, I mean, I really don't know how he did it. I'm sorry. Maybe, right. I, maybe I misunderstood the question. Oh no, no worries. So you would have been what, four in 1971. Yeah. So you, you probably don't remember Thanksgiving of 71. I don't remember Thanksgiving of 71, but I fully remember, uh, Christmas Eve. And why do you remember Christmas Eve? <laughs> so it was, th- it was 30 days after the hijacking. <clears throat> I didn't know anything about the hijacking at that young age. But what I do remember, you know, putting it, putting the pieces together now going backwards. But on Christmas Eve, my parents were separated or divorced at the time. I can't remember exactly. But my dad did come over 30 days later after the hijacking. He did come on Christmas Eve. And... I remember he showed up in this kind of this trench coat or this coat and he came over to me and said, hi son or hi Greg or whatever. And he had this big like grin on his face. Like he was going to surprise me with something. And I was kind of anticipating cause it was Christmas. I thought I was getting, get a, get a present. And he pulled out of his, the pockets of his coat, handfuls of bands of cash you know how ba- you know how big bands of cash have that wrap around in the middle and he pulled out with both hands i mean double fisted one from this hand one from this hand he pulled out of his coat all this money and he said look at this and i mean i i i remember I think that was probably the first time I really realized what money was or saw a lot of it. Um, but, you know, he wanted to impress me with all this money. And there was a ton of it. I mean, it had to be somewhere $20,000, dollars 
that he took out of his, that he, because they were hundreds. They weren't twenties. They were hundreds. I remember that because I think it was the first hundred dollar bill I'd ever seen. If it wasn't one dollar bill, it was bricks of hundreds. Your dad wasn't a wealthy man in 1971. No, my dad had to be the worst person with money in this world. Like he never, ever had money. He liked to gamble. He bought everything in sight. Um, you know, he made $15,000 a year at Weber State College, $15,000 a year. And here he is showing me, you know, two to three years of income from his pocket, right? So the fact that he had, if he had had $100, I'd have been blown away, let alone maybe $30,000 that he showed me. And that is one of the main reasons, you know, on the timeline of this being 30 days after the hijacking, I, I just can't, on top of a whole lot of other things, but I just can't imagine that he would have been able to get that money anywhere else other than the hijacking. And your dad had a on and off again gambling problem. Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah, he, he liked to gamble. He liked slot machines, lottery tickets, Las Vegas, that kind of stuff. And when did you start to think about that, to put that together? Like, oh, yeah, he did have a ton of money right after that. Probably through some of the questions that Galen asked me, you know, my memories and so forth. And then, um, you know, I was asked to do a hypnotic regression. Um, Galen and the FBI set it up where I was hypnotized. Uh, Galen and the FBI set it up. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but I know Galen was talking with the FBI at that time and they wanted to get, they wanted to see if I would be able to do a hypnotic regression to give them, to see if I could get a better memory of that night, get more details of the cash that he showed me. And then also, um, also when he showed me the keys to suppose the, 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 um, safety deposit boxes in Canada, they wanted to see if through hypnosis, through hypnotic regression, whether or not I could get a more clear picture in my mind about the cash when I was like four and then, um, take me back to 21 so I could try to detail the keys, like the size and the color and the shape. So they might be able to link that up with the correct bank in, in Canada. That's interesting. How did the hypnosis go? Well, um, I had never been hypnotized before. Like I didn't know if I could really be hypnotized, but I remember through the process, they did this to see whether I was hypnotized. And I remember they like jammed this, needle into my thumb and I didn't feel anything. And they said, okay, well now you'll feel it. And then I was like, ah, I was like, holy smokes. I really am hypnotized. <laughs> 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 but, um, um, you know, it was interesting, a little off the subject, but I mean, I did have a very clear recollection of that night when I was under about him coming in and the look on his face and you know, it made it even more clear, which made me think that my mother knew something about it because I remember my mother saying something like, oh, Bill, where did you get that? And 
when I, I remember when I was being hypnotized, I remember it seemed like it was kind of false. Like my mom was saying it to like as a knee jerk reaction. Like, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is it, I felt like she knew where that came from. But I think for my sake, she acted like, oh, I, where did that come from? Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. For the kids. Yeah. And then, um, you know, taking me back to 21, it was very clear, you know, you know, how he approached me. It's amazing when you're under like that and you're really focusing on that, how, how everything kind of comes clear. And I remember the psychiatrist at the time said, so Greg, you know, you know, if, if you feel any changes or you don't feel good after the session, you know, here's my number, you can call me. And I thought, why is he giving me his number? And then I realized a few days later, I was really depressed. I, I was really depressed and I didn't know where the depression was coming from. And I called him and he goes, yeah, you know, I was expecting you to call. I said, why, how would you know that I called? He goes, well, because when you do hypnotic regression in your mind, you're really back with your mom and your dad. Cause I took you back there. So you were really there. So you're missing them. Interesting, huh? That is interesting. Yeah, that's wild. I've never been hypnotized, but that's interesting. So when did the, when was the first time you were in contact with the FBI? Well, like I said, Galen was in contact. Galen was in contact to them, seemed like on a pretty regular basis. And, um, agent, special agent Carr called me and wanted to interview me. I don't know if that was in conjunction with Galen or, I mean, cause Galen was explaining to the FBI, the story and some of the, some of the, um, backstory. And so, uh, I don't know. I mean, one day agent, special agent Carr called in and interviewed me, you know, uh, I think it was one of, after one of the newspaper articles had come out, maybe he read the newspaper article. Maybe it was Sir Galen. Maybe it was a combination. I can't remember. What did you think of that? Was the call just out of the blue? Like, Hey, this is special agent Carr. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew why he was calling, you know, cause it, right. it, it had been in the paper and had been on a lot of news stations and, and everything. And, you know, I mean, he asked me a lot of questions. Um, uh, but I remember I asked him a question because I, you know, I knew that, you know, from Galen and kind of researching and I, I knew they had DNA from a tie clip. I knew they had, uh, fingerprints from one of the glasses and maybe some DNA from maybe a cigarette possibly. Um, and at the time I was like, why, why is this so difficult? I mean, if they have my dad's DNA and they have, they have, they have records, they have at least have fingerprints of my dad. Why is this taking so long? I mean, they should be able to just match my dad's fingerprints from the military and from the clergy to the fingerprints on the glass. And that seems like it should be pretty simple, right? They match or they don't. And I remember asking him this and I said, why? I said, I don't, you know, what, what's, I mean, you have the fingerprints from my dad. You have the fingerprints from my, from the glasses, from the, the glass. I mean, do they, do they match up or not? Right. I mean, it I just, pretty I, simple. I just straight asked, you know, and, uh, you know, but his response was quite interesting. I mean, it really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth or something because he said, well, that doesn't really mean anything because if they match up, that just means that your dad could have possibly have flown on a previous Southwest or 
uh, Southwest Orient flight, Southwest Orient, Northwest, right? North, Northwest Orient flight, and he could have perhaps handled that same glass. I remember just being flabbergasted, going, "What? Like they don't clean the glasses? I mean, what are the chances that he just happened to be on another flight and have just had that glass? I mean, at that point, I." I, I viewed the FBI a whole different way. I mean, I viewed the FBI as, yeah, I don't think they really want to solve this case. And why would it, why would he give me such a nonsensical answer? Is that pretty typical of all your interaction with the FBI? Was it just that one agent that you spoke with? It was just, it was just that one agent. But I, I remember, I think I spoke with him a couple of times. What do you think his impression of the story was? My impression was, they weren't taking it very seriously and or they were not interested in really getting to the bottom of this. My impression was they liked the story as it was where he probably died in the fall because, you know, the FBI within that culture, the FBI always gets their man. And I, I, I think by him dying in the fall that they felt like they got their man or he didn't get away, away with it. I, I, my impression was I didn't think they wanted to really dig into it too deep and find out that D.B. Cooper had gotten away with it. That's my impression. That's really interesting. Is it better to leave it unsolved forever and claim that he most likely died in the jump or to solve it, but D.B. Cooper got away with it because he passed away? Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they like that scenario. I think they like the former a lot better. Because your dad passed away in 2003. Yeah. That's such a wild story. Well, I mean, we were talking earlier before the show about the Maharishi. I don't know if that would be a good time to bring yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. So this ties into it a little bit. So the story is, you know, this is what Galen found. That when my dad was working for the public defender's office in Ogden, I think this was for four or five, six years after the hijacking, somehow, somehow the FBI had some, a connection to someone in that, in that public defender's office. And at the time, the Maharishi, which is the, you know, the Indian guru guy that had the big compound up in Oregon. In Antelope. Antelope, Oregon. Yeah, there was that Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, from what I understand and, you know, Galen, Galen saw the, uh, citation that the FBI gave to my father, but somehow my, they wanted someone to go into the kind of infiltrate into the cult. And there was a, a lady in there or a girl, I, I guess her parents were somehow connected, you know, to politics or at some high level. And they wanted someone to go in there and like get her out, like exfiltrate her out of the cult. And I don't know if my dad volunteered or if he was asked to, but my dad joined the cult somehow, befriended her and then got her out. And then the FBI gave him a, a commendation, not a citation. They gave him a commendation for his work with helping the FBI. So like we were talking before, I mean, <laughs> you know, for the FBI to be looking for D.B. Cooper and then D.B. Cooper actually uh, 
goes to work for them or volunteers and does a job for them and then get gets accommodation from him, from him from them is pretty hilarious absolutely if, you know he had to have been thinking while they're handing that to him yeah i'm db cooper i'm db cooper yeah <laughs> funny every time i think about it and one thing i want to touch on your dad didn't just confess to you and to your brothers he confessed to two other people yeah. Who did, who else did he confess to? He confessed. I was just talking about talking about the uh, public defender's office. Um, Maurice Richards was the head of that office and he had confessed to him. He was w- worried about it. And so that was his boss. And uh, he told him. And then my understanding is uh, in Oregon, uh, he worked for another attorney's office up there, and he had confided to uh, that attorney as well. So, you know, he he confided in me, my brother Kirk, my brother Stephen, uh, Maurice Richards, and uh, Mr. Bjornson up in uh, up in Oregon. Not to Clyde Lewis. Clyde Lewis found out, found out after the fact. That's true. Oh, and he never even told his new wife, Marilyn Smith, but he talked a lot about D.B. Cooper in the third person. Like, D.B. Cooper would have done this, or D.B. Cooper would have done this. And I think the implication was he was trying to tell her, but he didn't want to directly tell her. Uh, I think he distrusted um, the women in his life a little bit more. I, I think he trusted his son and the sons and the attorney is my take on it anyway. Well, he was married a couple of times. Oh, he was married. Let's see. My mother, Kirk's mother, Maryland. I think he was married three or four times. And you, you mentioned that he said to Maryland, I believe it was, uh, this is where DB Cooper planted some money. Yeah. So Marilyn, my stepmother, uh, she's a no-nonsense lady. She's very nice. Um, you know, my dad liked to tell stories and embellish certain things, and Marilyn wouldn't have any of it. Marilyn would call out my dad on everything and anything. You know, anytime I would go spend time with them, she would say, no, no, that's not true, or it wasn't like that. You know, I mean, she absolutely zero fear uh, as far as setting him straight, like immediately in front of people, in front of everything. So you have to remember that in the context of this. But when this came out, she was interviewed uh, by a, a television station in Oregon, I believe, about this. And she had told the interviewer that the, now this was before the the young kid found the fifty eight hundred and eighty dollars where was it tina bar tina bar mm-hmm. okay so this was before he dug it up or found it this was maybe six months before that and i remember i i know marilyn in an interview had said that wolfgang her husband um had taken her there while they were dating before they were married. I know I, I know the timeline is correct because she said it was like right before they got married. So she had that timeline in her head. But 
he took her there to go fishing. And as he would speak a lot about D.B. Cooper in third person, he told her, you know, this is the kind of place like right here where D.B. Cooper might have buried some money to throw the authorities off the trail. And this was like six months before the guy found the money at the same spot. That's incredible. So either Marilyn is lying, but I can tell you, I know Marilyn. She is not a liar. She would never. I mean, if Marilyn says something, you just have to know her. Uh, she she would not that she would not make that up and backdate that story. There's no possible way you'd have to know her. That's incredible, because that you know, no one's really sure how the money got there. You know, most people believe it was a plant, but if it was a plant, why, and and when? Why was it planted? Yeah, why was it planted, and when was it planted? Well, you know, he had told her that he had you know this is where D. B. Cooper would have planted some money. And so that someone would find it and it would throw them off the trail as far as where he ended up or where they thought he landed and so forth. So I think that's the answer. Do you think that your dad was, I mean, he had to have been proud of the fact that he pulled this off. Do you think it was difficult for him to keep quiet about it? Absolutely. Because my dad liked to brag. He bragged on me a lot. He liked the public attention. I remember one time, just to give you an example, I used to be a professional triathlete and I won the Idaho State. It was the Bur no, it was Burley. It was the Idaho State Triathlon Championship. And I won it. And I remember not, I had just gone through the finish line. The news cameras came over. <laughs> My dad literally ran over there, pushed me out of the shot. And, uh, you know, proceeded to answer all the questions about my race <laughs> that I had just won. It's <laughs> oh, hilarious. I was just like, what? You can't steal my thunder. You didn't do the race. I did the race. <laughs> right? And uh, so, yeah, he liked to be in the limelight. I mean, he had, a, he had a talk show. I mean, he liked to be in the limelight. And I, I, I think that it was very difficult for him that he could not tell people about this coup that he got away with. Um, because like I said, he told my two brothers, he told me and the two attorneys, and as far as I know, those the only people that he ever told. And that had to be extremely difficult for him. I'm sure he wanted to tell the whole world. Did he ever mention a motive why he did it? That is one of the questions I would have asked him. I mean, I have heard through the years from Galen it's a little fuzzy in my memory. Two, I think two possible theories. One was something that when he was in Vietnam in the intelligence community, he, he was not happy with something about how the government ran. I know, I know that. I know there was some, I know there was some talk about another note on the high, on the hijacking where maybe it was some kind of manifesto. Have you heard this? Yes. You have. Okay. I can't really, I can't really put that into context. Um, I do recall though, as my, I, I, I don't, my dad didn't have a great opinion of the government. I mean, growing up, I, 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 that did come through. So, but I'm not really sure. And then of course, I believe Galen believed a lot of it had to do with, because my dad had such a 
difficult time with money. It's one of the reasons my parents separated. And, um, you know, he felt like one of the main motivations was that he, because he wanted to get back with my mother and money was some of the problem, that might be one of the motivations, which kind of does make sense to me because I was telling you earlier, you know, in the spring after, after the hijacking, four or five months later, my dad put up billboards all over Ogden, Utah that basically said, Teresa H. Gossett, I love you, you know, William Wolfgang, please come back, something to that effect. They were all over town. I was looking for a picture. I couldn't find one before you came because I wanted to show you, but I mean, I've seen them. And, you know, again, where in the world would he get enough money to, to buy bunches of billboards? Yeah, especially making 15 grand a year. Yeah. What do you think happened to the money? Well, the money that wasn't spent on billboards. The one, the, oh, the non-billboard money? I'm sure some of it ended up in Las Vegas. I'm sure that. <laughs> I, actually, he rem, I remember him telling me some gambling stories where he said he had, you know, put lots and lots of money and he had 20s and somehow the dealer was pulling 21s. And he was talking about thousands and thousands of dollars per hand. This was before I knew anything about the D.B. Cooper. And I was just thinking, yeah, well, that can't be true. Where would you get that kind of money? But, you know, now I look back and go, okay, I think maybe I know where. Um, So, you know, when I asked him, when he told me, he said it ended up in Canada. It ended up in the safety deposit boxes. So, uh, you know, and I'm going to tell you a story here where I think that's probably true. Uh, My brother, Kirk, uh, is a great guy, sweet kid, um, and... You know, growing up, my dad was, you know, not a, not a great father to any of us. I, I was much younger than they were, so this was before my time. But, uh, you know, my dad really never did anything with my brothers at all. Uh, but out of the blue one day, this was in the, well, I can't remember exactly. It was after the hijacking. It could, it could have been that summer, a year later, I'm not sure. Uh, but um, out of the blue, you know, Kirk told me the story that my dad came to him completely out of character and said, hey, how'd you like to go to Canada? We'll take a trip up there, just you and I, just the boys. We're going to go fishing. We're going to go check everything out. It'll be a big adventure. And, you know, Kirk was ecstatic. This had never happened to him, right? I mean, my this was completely unlike my father to say, let's go on a trip and do like father-son stuff. And so, you know, he told all his friends, we're going up there. We're going to, you know, fish and chase bears, you know, whatever. I mean, it was like the, it was such a huge thing to him. I mean, when he told me the story, I could just see his eyes light up about how excited. So anyway, they just, one summer, he and my dad, like he said, they go up to Canada and and Kirk told me it was a very strange route. Like they didn't just take a plane, they took a bus and then they took a train and this weird circuitous route up to Canada. They went up to Canada. My dad had this big black bag full of something. He didn't know what it was, but my dad was very, you know, watchful of that bag, like at all times, like on high alert. And, you know, the idea was they were going to go up for 10 days or two weeks, and he was all excited about this stuff. And, and uh, uh, he actually has a, a video. He brought my, my brother's a photographer, and he, he took a video camera. And there's video footage of this trip, which we're going to look for later. So anyway, you know, he's excited. He's excited for a big adventure with my father up in Canada. And once they get there, they check into their motel 
and uh, my dad says to Kirk, okay, uh, I'm gonna be back. I, gotta, I have to go do something. I'll be back in a couple hours. You stay here, don't leave. He said, okay. And so my dad leaves for a couple hours, comes back, as soon as he gets back, he says, okay, son, get your stuff, we're going home. And Kirk's like, what are you talking about? We're going fishing and whatever. He's like, no, things have changed. Which was devastating to my brother. I could just imagine, because I ran into some of that as a kid with my dad as well. And, you know, the black bag was gone. And they, they didn't even stay overnight. They got there. My dad was gone for a couple hours, came back without the bag, had to go home. My brother hid in his house in California for like a whole week because he had told all of his friends about this adventure. They were gone. He was too embarrassed. So he, he, wouldn't, come out of the, he wouldn't even come out of the house. So, I mean, I think what happened there was my dad was using Kirk as cover to get into Canada um, with the money. And I think he, when he left for a couple hours, I think he went, opened up the accounts, put the money in the safety deposit box and left back. And I think those are the keys that I saw. Do you think that safety deposit box existed when your father died or do you think he blew through whatever was in there before he died? I honestly don't know. I, I think that there was some talk, maybe some speculation about that my dad couldn't access the money for some reason. And I believe, I believe that, I, I believe that is one of the reasons that he may have contacted the attorney Bjornsson up there and befriended him. Um, Cause I had heard some stories maybe that they went up there to try to get it, something like that. But it's, I don't know the exact details cause I haven't talked to him about it. So it may, it may still be sitting there. And I remember speaking with Galen, you know, I think Galen believed it was still there. And you know, they were talking about, well, if they did recover it, would it be Canada's money or would it be the United States money? Would there be some kind of legal issue and who would get the money, you know, and that, that money would be worth a huge amount of money just because of the collectible value, you know, that it's Stevie Cooper money. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the shredded torn up bills sold for quite a bit. Did they? Oh yeah. You know, one thing I found interesting that, it was one of those moments, like there's been a couple moments where I had like chills go at the back of my spine. And the first moment was when I was looking for the picture for Galen Cook and I found it and it said 1970 on there, 1971. And I remember at that time I went, okay, this is good. And I remember I went to the internet and pulled up the, the FBI sketch, because I hadn't seen it since my dad showed it to me way back when I was 21. And I remember pulling it up and looking and going, oh man, that is close. Like the ears and the, the hair line and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I really got chills there. But then I remember, and I can't, I can't remember where I saw it. It was a, maybe it was a sketch or a rendition of what the bomb looked like on the plane that, mm -hmm. that the flight attendant described to the FBI when, you know, when the flight attendant looked into the bag and, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those nine volt batteries, which is kind of those big brick looking batteries, square bricks that have the little, uh, one of the lantern batteries. Yeah. Like a lantern battery has the little wire springs on the top. 
Mm-hmm. And it was one of it was one of them with four or five or six pieces of dynamite, and it was wrapped with like duct tape, and not duct tape, electrical tape, and there were some wires. And I mean, I immediately got chills because growing up, um, my parents lived apart, but in the garage there was this workshop. It was pretty much my dad's. He stored a lot of stuff there. And he had some tools, and it was just like his little lair. And growing up, those type of batteries were in that workshop all the time. I mean, I, 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 mean, I distinctly remember that I found, I mean, there were so many of these big block batteries there. Like, I opened one up one day, and I was amazed to find their filled with AA batteries. And in that same room, my dad had a ton of road flares. And by the way, road flares are red and dynamite is gray. And, you know, the quote dynamite that was in the bag wasn't dynamite, they were road flares. So the bomb was not real. No, the bomb wasn't real. But I mean, I grew up as a kid in a little workshop that had these batteries in my dad's workshop that had batteries, road flares all over the place, electrical tape all over the place. So, I mean, when I saw that, I just went, oh my God. I said, I wonder, I mean, I, I know exactly where the bomb came from. I played with the parts. Yeah, that's wild. How, how sure are you was your dad, if you had to put a number on it, a percentage, are you 99% sure? Are you 75% sure? Well, you know, I would hate to think that he lied to me, right? But that's subjective he may have. But I think when you, if I really have to be really objective about it and really look at it super, super hard, I'm quite sure it was him for two reasons, three reasons. But the one that I cannot dismiss, the one that I can't, rationalize away is that 30 days after the hijacking he shows up with 25 to 35 thousand dollars worth of cash and i think it i don't understand how he could have got that much cash in at that year right 1971 when he's making fifteen thousand dollars a year and he shows up with almost twice that or more 30 days after the hijacking I mean, that is the one thing I cannot rationalize away. Even if I wanted to think it wasn't him, it makes me think it has to be him. You know, and then you add on to it, okay, the bomb devices. Okay, you know, does that make me 100% sure? No, but it just reinforces the money part where he showed me the money. Right. And then you add on top of that, Marilyn telling the story that he told him or told her this is where D.B. Cooper would bury the money before it was found. I mean, that's, you know, how do you explain that away? Other than when she was lying, and I know she wasn't lying. She wouldn't do that. Right. Did he ever tell your mom anything? No. However, well, he told, she never mentioned it, and he told me, the day that he told me, he said, don't you dare tell Teresa, like with a lot of emphasis on don't you dare tell Teresa. I was like, okay, I won't. However, <clears throat> when my mom was still alive, I do remember her 
several times telling me, I know something about your father that would get him in a lot of trouble. But she never told me what that was. But she did say that 100%. She said that several times. And again, the day that he came in and showed me the money and she acted surprised, but it seemed like fake surprised. So I, I do have... I do feel pretty confident that she knew, and that's exactly what she was talking about, that you know, I know something that could get him in a lot of trouble. Do you think it's something that you couldn't see your dad doing, or do you think, oh, I could see him doing that? I can see him doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, if my dad said to me, you know, I'm D.B. Cooper, I, it just yeah whatever there's no way i could never see you doing it but but you could see your dad doing it 100 percent. he was a badass and he wasn't scared of anything and he was an adrenaline guy and he had the skills you know what i mean from the military um yeah 100 100 percent i can see him doing that honestly and he was 41 at the time of the hijacking, which puts him at the right age. And yeah, you he's believe he's, he's the kind of guy who at 41 would still do something absolutely insane like that. Absolutely, 100%. When he was older than that, when, when he was older than that, he would go for 100-mile, 200-mile wilderness hikes that we'd have to pick him up 200 miles away, like I told you earlier. Yeah, that's true. Is there anything that makes you think it wasn't him? Is there something that you keep going, yeah, but there's this? The only thing that makes me think that, I mean, if I have to try to think of something like that, like I said, what I kind of told you before always overrides that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was, he was a BSer with a lot of stuff. You know, like kind of white lies or like brag about stuff. He'd like to be the center of attention things like that. So sometimes I think, okay, like I know, I know there's times where he's like flat out lied, but kind of more white lies to make him feel good or prop somebody up or something like that. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, if, when I sit down and go, okay, try to be as objective as you can. I'm like, okay, you know, he had this tendency and I think anybody that knew him realized that. And you start to think, okay, well, somebody with that tendency might make up a story like this, right? But if he didn't really do it, why not tell a lot more people and brag about it, where in reality he didn't tell anyone, which I was telling you before must have been very, very difficult for him. And only telling his three sons, and we didn't know, and he only told two other attorneys. Um, but again, where did the money come from? And the story from Maryland, you know what I mean? So do I think he did? Yes, I do. I do. But, you know, to answer your question, it would be some of his tall tales in other areas of life that might make me question that. And I honestly, if it wasn't for the money and Maryland's story and the bomb materials, um, I would think probably it wasn't true but you know i saw the money with my own eyes yeah that's hard to dispute yeah and the story with kirk going to canada why in the hell would he go to canada for one day when was the first time you heard that story 
I believe Galen interviewed Kirk. Okay. That's an interesting way to hear it. So you, you and Kirk were not close. Well, it's just the age difference. We had different mothers and he was, you know, 20 years older than I was. Oh, okay. Yeah. It would be hard for and you we guys to be And we, 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 we grew up in different families and stuff. Why do you think this story hasn't got the attention? I mean, they made a movie of it with Robert Duvall. Uh, no. Uh, uh, Robert Duvall is in it, but he, D.B. Cooper is played by Treat Williams. Okay. And then, of course, there was the, the pursuit up, of D.B. Cooper. Up the river. Uh, without a paddle. Without a paddle, yeah. Yeah. Without a paddle. I mean, how many documentaries have, been there, have there been about it? There's been a ton. Quite a few. But how many of them mention Wolfgang Gossett? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, when this came out about my dad, there was quite a bit of press here in this town. I mean, I know there was quite a bit of press up in Oregon and, you know, a bunch of TV channels. Uh, I mean, I know that, I know that National Geographic, you know, wanted to do a big thing on it with, with Galen Cook, but Galen didn't want to, you know, listen, Galen has a lot more things I don't know about. And he didn't want to share that with National Geographic either. So if he had been willing to, there probably would have been a full documentary on National Geographic about it. Were you aware of that? I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Does that bother you that the story hasn't gotten out on the next level? Me personally, no. It doesn't. I mean, like, why, why would I be bothered by it, that? I don't know. You're in kind of a weird position where it, yeah, it's a crime, but I mean, your dad was such a character that yeah. if you took this out of his story, it doesn't make his story less interesting, really. No, it's still pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But having that in his story, I, I don't know. I, I guess the only reason that I'd like to see it maybe get more attention is one just for closure of the case. And then I think posthumously, maybe my dad would get his due. You know what I mean? Because he never got it while he was alive because he couldn't really tell anyone. And just knowing his personality, I, I'm sure he would, in death, he, he, he would be happy wherever he is to go, oh, finally, it's out. I finally got my due. Well. He you know, he did confess to those other two lawyers. Yeah. The one in Oregon, Jim Bjornson, how, how come you haven't talked to him about the confession? Um, you know, he sent me a letter uh, that I didn't respond to. I think Galen Cook at the time advised me not to. Yeah, okay. that's what it was. Yeah, because Galen was working on his book and, and um, yeah, I, yeah, I do remember. He he just advised me not to not to talk to him for some reason. What do you think when you hear other people presented as DB Cooper? Ah, oh, interesting. Well, so based upon you know what I believe, based upon what we just talked about, I I would have to say my first response is well, it can't be them. <laughs> it can't be them. <laughs> they gotta be making. What it other up. way could you go into it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I, you know, I, I guess there's a thing called DB Cooperitis where everybody wants to be DB Cooper, but I guess there there can only be one. 
there can only be one, but dozens of people have confessed. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why they would confess. Maybe you know, after they died. I don't know why they'd confess either. Several of them did so on their deathbed. Oh, which reminds me, my other brother, Stephen. My brother, Stephen, had been estranged from my father for a long time. And then when my dad was getting close to dying, he was in the hospital up in Washington at the military hospital in Washington. And my brother heard, and my brother Stephen did go and, you know, say, he could say his goodbyes. And my dad was, death, was literally on his deathbed, and my dad did confess to him, okay, I wanted to let you know before I go that I was David Cooper. And how much time did they spend together? Hours? Yeah. So, I mean, look, somebody did it. Was it Wolfgang? I mean, based upon what I just told you, I just don't know how it could be any other way unless he robbed another bank and got the money and brought it. But the timing seems suspicious. He looks like him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he had the skills to do it. He had the personalities to do it. And, you know, if Marilyn's story is true, which it's got to be, I, I can't, I, I would bet everything I have that she would not lie about this. You know, how, how could someone take you to an area and say, this is probably where D.B. Cooper would buried some money and then six months or nine months later, them finding D.B. Cooper money. I mean, it either has to be true or is a blatant lie. I mean, it, it can't be one of the two. It can't be any different than that. It has to be one or the other with her. You should interview her. Yeah, I'd like to. Do you think she'd do it? I think so. I think so. I mean, she's, she told that in an interview. But I know she, I know he always spoke about D.B. Cooper in third person to her. Like he, I think he wanted her to know, but he didn't want to like, you know, actually say I was. Do you remember your dad being able to read and or uh, speak French? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He was able to do that. Yeah. And was stationed in France for a while. Yeah. Do you know if he ever saw the Dan Cooper comic book? Uh... I don't know about that. I've never heard that. What is that? You don't know what the Dan Cooper comic book is? No. There was a, I'm going to mess up the details on this, but there was a comic book called Dan Cooper that was about, I believe it was a Belgian test pilot um, and all these adventures he would do. And there's covers of these comic books where it's him jumping out of airplanes. Or There's one where he like saves a commercial airliner from a bomb and is jumping out of it. Uh, and the ticket, the name they gave on the plane was Dan Cooper. Really? So, and that's the, that's the name that the hijacker used? That's the name that the hijacker used. The exact name, not D.B. Cooper. But not D.B. Cooper. Cooper, Dan Cooper. Oh. D.B. Cooper was a press mistake. Right, okay. And that, that comic book was a French comic book? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I know he was stationed over there and... I remember he had a French flag in his apartment, and I remember that, yeah, he always spoke French. He didn't speak fluent French. He spoke like, I want to impress you French, like to, you're a beautiful lady. I'm not sure how to say that in French, but he, I remember he would always say that to my mother. And so, yeah, he, you know, yeah, he, he had a lot of phrases that he knew in, in French. But if you would have thrown something in front of him in French, he could have read it or understood the vast majority of it. That I don't know. He didn't speak fluent French. He just, he just had a lot of sayings down. So could he, could he have read 
a, a, an actual French comic book? That I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, it's just speculation, but that's a very interesting connection that there happened to be a comic book by the name Dan Cooper. Yeah. And that's the name that he gave. You know, one thing when we were having dinner, I thought about this on the way home, but, um, you know, my dad was obsessed with 727s. As a kid, whenever I was with him, he would point out to me in the sky. I mean, I can remember 20 times. See that plane? 727 has a door, opens it in the back. And why would he know that? <laughs> well, I think we know why he'd know that. But as a kid, I had no idea what he was telling me. But I do remember many, many times, like every single time we were out, see that plane? 727. Door opens up. See that plane? 727. Door opens up. Or opens down in the back. And uh, your dad drank and smoked. Yeah, not heavily, though. I mean, I... He drank socially, uh, but not a lot. And I, have, I did see him smoke uh, actual cigarettes a handful of times, but generally he smoked a cigar. Well, is there anything else we haven't covered? I just wish I would have asked him more on the day. I wish I would have followed it up with some questions. If I would have had an internet, I would have read about it. And I, I mean, why did you do it? Where did you put the money? Where did you land? Were you planning on hurting anyone? Um, well, you didn't even know to ask those questions. I you didn't were being know. introduced to the story yeah, at I didn't the even, same time. I didn't, I didn't even know. The big I, mystery. I mean, if I would have had a D.B. Cooper book there in front of me or something, I probably would have asked him. But, you know, I was a little scared of my dad, too. You know, I was a little scared of him. But if it would have been one day after and I could have read about it and I wasn't in such shock, I mean, I mean, what would you have asked him? If you were me and you had a few minutes, you know, you had a day to think about it, what, what are the questions you would have asked him? I, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, like you said, there was no internet. So you didn't... If you knew. If you knew everything about the case. If I knew everything about the case, I would ask him exactly how he did it. I would start with, all right, take me to how you got to Portland. Mm -hmm. We'll start from there. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know all the details. What'd of the you do with the money? Did you wear a disguise? Yeah, I want to know... From the time you jumped out of the back of the plane, where were you when you jumped out? Where did you land? What was the free fall like? What was the landing like? What did you do when you hit the ground? What'd you do with the parachute? Yeah, exactly. What'd you do with the money? Did you spend some of the money? Did you put it all in the banks in Canada or did you blow 50,000 of it in, in Vegas? Yeah, and in 1971, I mean... Why did you do it? Yeah, when you land somewhere, how do you get out out of that, so that spot? You don't know where you are. You have a parachute. Your, your clothes are probably trashed from the, from the jump. Yeah. You have all this gear and a bag of money. Yeah. How do you, how do you escape that without people saying, hey, I saw a guy fell from the sky with a bunch of money and a briefcase. I think he had some clothes under his suit though, right? Who knows? I, I had heard that. I, maybe that was through Galen, but I know that he had some, he leaned over in the plane and his pants rode up and one of the nearby passengers noticed that there was some type of different clothing underneath the pants. Yeah, hopefully he had something warm on, especially if he was gonna spend a few days out in the woods. That's interesting that even after that, that your dad still would go on 100-mile-plus survival hikes. Yeah, we would drop him off at a trail, 
and he'd be all geared up. And a week later or so, my mom would have to go pick him up 100 miles or further away. Boy, that makes him a pretty good suspect. I'm really wondering if your dad was D.B. Cooper. Well, I think he is unless he somehow robbed the bank, a different bank, and showed me the money on Christmas Eve. I don't think anybody could ever talk me out of that. It's impossible for him to have that much money. It's literally impossible. And this is 30 days after the hijacking. He would he would have had to rob a, a different type of bank or something. You know. Then you take a, the you take a look at his skill set. You take a look at his, uh, you know, how he looks. Um, and I'd hate to think he just lied to me about it. But even I, I don't think he did. I don't. I don't think he did. I don't know where. I don't know where we would have gotten the money thirty days later. Have you ever heard the name Richard Floyd McCoy before? Yeah. Did your dad know him at all? I had heard that. I had heard that. Now, was he the one that did a similar jump like that yeah. after the fact? Yep, copycat shortly after. I, I I don't remember now exactly how, but I remember there might have been some connection between my father and him. Like they had met? Is that what you had heard? Well, I mean, if your dad's in Ogden. Um, was he from Ogden? He was, from, he was teaching at BYU, I believe, at the time. Or no, I'm sorry. He was attending BYU at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and then hijacked a plane, jumped out, I want to say outside Salt Lake. Okay. Um, I want to say he went from Salt Lake to Denver. I could be mixing up yeah, that different skyjackings. That sounds familiar. And then jumped out shortly after, um, planted the money in his suit, went and got a ride, came back, got the money. But then the FBI was on him right away. They were at his house like two days later. Did he get in a shootout with the FBI? Yeah, years later, he broke out of jail. Oh, okay. Uh, like drove a garbage truck through the gate of the jail. And then months after that, I believe, got into a shootout with the FBI and was killed. The FBI agent that shot him and killed him said, when I shot Richard Floyd McCoy, I shot D.B. Cooper. Oh, did they think he was D.B. Cooper also? Cause... Yeah, just that guy did. I mean, everyone put D.B. Cooper and, at his mid-40s. And Richard Floyd McCoy, I want to say he was like... 28 29 oh at the time well the fbi sketch is definitely not of a 28 year old yeah and tina mucklow sat next to db cooper for five hours and lit his cigarettes uh-huh and she said that he was mid-40s and you can't tell me that a gal sits next to a dude for five hours and is going to be off by 20 years on his age no way but if they knew he, each other that would be crazy because McCoy's skyjacking was so similar, but he didn't pull it off as nicely. He just made sloppy mistakes doing it. But it sounds like he got away with it. Well, he landed on the ground. He landed on the ground. They got him right then? Yeah, they got him. They, I believe they knew who it was pretty much right away and then had him uh, a day or two later. Oh, okay. Hmm. And he had spent like $30 of the, he asked for 500 grand. Oh, got it, it up. And had spent like $30 when uh, he was caught. Oh man. Yeah. It's an interesting story. Like we were talking about earlier. I'm just, I'm just glad DB Cooper didn't hurt anybody. You know what I mean? That, that would not make the story so kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. Do you think the case will be solved? 
to everyone's satisfaction? I don't think so. Do you want the case to be solved? Yeah. Yeah. I would love the case to be solved. If my dad did it, which I think he did, but I would like, I would like him to, for him to get his due that he actually did it, got away with it, didn't hurt anybody. I mean, as his son, I would like that for him. Um, if it wasn't him, I would like to know just for my own sake. You know what I mean? So I can quit thinking, God, I think my dad was Davy Cooper. I think my dad was Davy Cooper. Is he? Was he? No, I, yeah, but what about the money? You know what I mean? I go through this all the time. Is it something you tell people a lot or is it something you're kind of embarrassed to bring? No, I don't tell that many people about it. I don't tell that many people about it. Um, you know, if I have, if I have friends or people that I know that are like in the military or like paratroop or something like that, I'll bring it up because I think it'd be interesting for them you know, because they're, they're paratroopers and so forth. Uh, but I mean, I don't think, I think I've told one person in the last six years. So you're not walking into parties like, Hey guys, my dad was DB Cooper. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, when it came out in the paper and the press and stuff, I mean, of course, a lot of people asked me about it, but I don't know. It seems you probably think you're crazy, right? You know, so no, it's, it's not something I, I bring up on a regular basis at all. Why do you think the story got attention in the press and then disappeared? You mean since it's happened or like your dad's story, you know, why did oh. your dad's story come out, you know, 2012, 2015, let's say, and then it just kind of disappeared. Well, I think it's like a lot of news stories, you know, something comes out, people get excited about for a while, but if there's no follow through or follow up or something definitive, uh, I think like a lot of stories, it just kind of fades away, you know, something new comes up. Yeah, that's true. I guess the news cycle is pretty fast these days. Yeah. I mean, if, if the, if the, if the FBI... I mean, I, I honestly would like to get an honest answer. For, I mean, d did his fingerprints match or not? Regardless of whether he may have picked up that glass, that would still be interesting to know, right? But I never got, I never got a, a, clear, a clear answer. Well, you said, you know, your dad was a ladies' man so that you could have a lot more siblings you don't know about. Yeah. What about all these crimes that are being solved with familial DNA and through genealogy, being able to trace... Okay, it's got to be related to this person on this level. Well, I think they went down that road with me. I mean, I, I did, I, I was requested to go get a DNA swap for this exact reason. But you never heard anything back never from heard. that? But it doesn't surprise me. I didn't hear anything about the fingerprints. And they had that exact. They had his and his. It's not that hard. They, did they match or not? I mean, I actually asked a direct question to the FBI agent about that and you know, I told you the answer that I got. It was very evasive, you know. I mean, I, I think it's very clear. They had his fingerprints from the clergy. They had his fingerprints from um, from the military. And they certainly had fingerprints from D.B. Cooper's glass. So, I mean, that just seems like a slam dunk, like you would know immediately. It would. I've heard the sample they have is incomplete, that they could use it to rule somebody out, but not necessarily say definitively it was this guy but oh, i don't even really? know how true that is yeah see he didn't he didn't tell me that all he said was well 
you know, that doesn't prove anything because he could have been, he could have handled that glass on a previous flight at some point in the past. <laughs> it just sounded so ridiculous to me. Yeah, that does sound ridiculous. There was, uh, Tom K did a bunch of forensics on the tie. Have you heard about this at all? They found some exotic metals and rare earth minimal minerals on the tie. No, I heard they had some DNA from maybe the neck, the neck piece. Right. It was a one piece tie, right? Yeah, clip-on tie. Yeah, which my dad... A J.C. Penny clip-on tie. Which my dad wore and chopped at J.C. Penny all the time, by the way. Really? Yeah. I remember when I was on Coast to Coast, I think they asked me how, you know, what kind of dresser he was. And I mean, the clothes, the clothes in that uh, FBI sketch is totally something he would wear. And yeah, I shopped at J.C. Penny all the time, and he did wear those little... He did have those clip-on ties. Do you have any idea how like titanium would have got on his tie. No. Because in 71, he was teaching law. No, he had just teaching. just started the ROTC program. Oh, he started the ROTC. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wasn't he, he was a law professor there also? No, he had a law degree. And after he retired from the military, he went to work for the public defender's office in Ogden. Oh, okay. He taught... He taught English up at Weber State also. Okay. All right. I think we covered it all, Greg. Okay. Good. Thanks is for the, Is there me anything on. you want to share with the audience? You know, anything you're doing outside of D.V. Cooper? Well. Anyone has questions for you or they want to see what you're up to anywhere? Well, I have a daily podcast uh, on YouTube. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, D.B. Cooper, <laughs> but I'm a professional stock trader. And uh, I have a channel called uh, Gossip Trading and Mentoring Live on YouTube. And uh, uh, each day I trade live and I teach people how I trade stocks and I mentor them. And it's uh, Monday through Friday uh, during the last hour of the market on YouTube. So if you want to come and say hi there, you can. Perfect. And if somebody wants to get in contact with you, they can do that there? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't talk a lot about DV Cooper and that <laughs> That channel's not for D.B. Cooper. It's right. for stock trading. But if you're interested in stock trading, I, won't, I probably won't have a lot of time to talk to you about D.B. Cooper stuff. But if you're interested in stock trading, then please come on by. All right. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. It's been fun. It was fun to kind of go, go back through the memories a little bit. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Go check out Greg's YouTube page, Gossip Trading and Mentoring Live, where he does real-time stock trading and mentoring. And follow him on Twitter at Gossip Trading. You'll find links to both in the show notes. Patreon subscribers can stay tuned after the show for my thoughts on Wolfgang Gossip. Is there a suspect we haven't covered yet or someone you think we should have on the show? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We are The Cooper Vortex. Instagram, at The Cooper Vortex. On Twitter, at DB Cooper Podcast. Or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Thank you to Greg Gossett for treating me to dinner and for spending his Saturday evening with me. Thank you to Russell Colbert for not being a pain in my neck, even when he has pain in his neck. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex.